want you to listen. Then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. Well, welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. I am Josh. And I'm Nat. And today we're joined by Lisa. Hi. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Lisa, could you give everyone a little bit of a background on yourself? Yeah, sure. I, um, I'm currently a project coordinator at Frankston Mornington Peninsula Primary Care Partnerships. So I oversee a project or provide project coordination around responding to young girls reported missing and women in the justice system. So, yeah, it's great. Awesome. Great fun. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we start all, start all of our podcasts off with five questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first question is, what did your parents do for work? Mm. So my dad was in the Navy for about oh. 20 years and then a clinic transport officer for the ambulance okay. for another 20 years when wow. he retired. And then I think mum, isn't it bad that I had to actually think <laughs> what mum did yeah she was always around i think um she'd do cleaning and things like that so yeah but mm. um very much stayed stayed home to raise the kids yeah 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 did did you grow up sort of the army brat sort of stereotype was that you moving around a lot no no, no. not at all so um my dad was based down in Cerberus, so oh, yeah. locally for the whole time. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he, that was, oh, no, he, he was actually in New South Wales for a bit, but that was pre-me. Okay. So um, he was mainly in the ambulance when I was when I was a kid and growing up. Oh. Yeah, so very born and bred Frankston, so stayed yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You would have seen a change a lot in that time if you have lived here, like, close to being your whole life. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think no? there's really similar stuff that goes on. Okay. Um, there's always been, you know, really siloed pockets of, um, you know, wealth and then uh, extreme disadvantage. I don't think that's ever changed. Mm. So, yeah, always still the people that hang around the station was back then. So, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's Creatures of yeah. habit. Yeah. yeah. How cool is that? It's cool that you've been in the same place for such a significant amount of time. Yeah, you know, I think you tend to know a lot about what goes on, like, mm. and especially working as well. So living, working, and, and then now raising kids as well. So, mm. yeah, I should broaden my horizons a bit, shouldn't I? <laughs> no, you're really in the know here. Yeah. You've got a good gig going. That's right. You move anywhere else yeah. and you wouldn't have no I know. idea. We'll have to re-establish. <laughs> I'm too nosy for that. I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. The next one is who is the most well-known or famous person in your phone book? 
Well, it depends. If you talk about like Instagram followers, it's probably one of my clients. Yeah. That would be the well-known. Okay. Um, yeah, right. But it, like in terms of um, how many followers they have. Yeah. But, yeah, wow. but I think um, so. It depends on on what you talk about famous and well-known. Sure. But I would say Jill Pryor. So Jill Pryor is the principal lawyer at Legal Advocacy Centre for Women. Um, She's very well-known and, I guess, respected in that sense, Um, a huge advocate for women in the justice system. Mm. Um, Or Chris Trotter, who was a professor at Monash Uni. Yeah, I was going to say I know that name. Yeah, yeah. So um, he's our technical advisor to the Living Free Project. He's been amazing. So... Um, I think he, he would be quite well known. He's he's well published as well. So, yeah, they, they'd probably be the two. So no celebrities, unfortunately. Well, it depends on on the Who, what, yeah, you know, how you guys celebrity. Yeah. celebrity. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Uh, what job wouldn't you do? This one is easy. Um, <laughs> pest controller. <gasps> so, yeah. Oh, they. So I am definitely not. A, I wouldn't say a girly girl in like. I don't mind getting muddy, pushing barrows at concrete, you know, but rodents and things like that just they make me squeal like a girl and run. <laughs> and definitely pest controller. Oh, makes I'm me so up. surprised. I didn't think of that. <laughs> oh, for yourself? Yeah, mm. because we often have pest control um, in the orbit. And I've definitely had run-ins with rodents before oh. at work, and I'm just surprised oh. that's not something that ever came to my mind. Because yeah. I'm the same. On top of the desk, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Get that mouse. That was exact. <laughs> that is it. <excellent. laughs> I, I was sitting on the couch once, and and I saw a little mouse run across the floor. I I had no idea I would respond the way that I responded, <laughs> but I did exactly that. I jumped, and I didn't have anybody else there to to say get the mouse. Like, what do I do? So I just sort of pushed everything up against the wall. So it couldn't come back out again. Left it until I got professional help. Yes. Yep. They're yep. just, I think for me, it's that they're very quick mm-hmm. and my eyes struggle to keep up with them. So I think anything that's a little bit unpredictable for me mm-hmm. that's quicker than what I can comprehend. Yeah. Yep. It's like with the elephants. They've done that, the test bit of the elephants and the mice. Oh, and they sure. actually freak out because their brains can't figure out who they are quick enough. So oh. they do that old wives' tale that, you know, elephants are scared of mice. Yeah. It's actually true. Um, and so I watched it on what's that show and they do the they test the theories and it's like a scientific show, but it's sure. like oh I can't even remember. Yeah. But yeah, they did it on there and the elephants actually flinch. And I think mine's similar because it's they're too quick. See, Mike thinks you don't know anything about trivia. Look at that. You just yeah. came out uh-huh. with the goods then. Yeah, I'm gonna have Never to call knew him that. On it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not the only one with the rodent thing, oh. but not so much. But if I can share a funny story with the screaming or not knowing how you're going to react. Yeah. Mm. So we had this crazy big vine sort of thing that took over this big tree in our back garden and then it became a possum's nest. You know how it gets really thick and shrubby right at the top? Yeah. And I just, it, I, we had the possums run across our roof all the time and I was like, bugger these guys. So I started to pull it apart. Like week by week, I was pulling these vines down. There's this really big thick one. And it was in the middle of the afternoon on like a weekend and I'm pulling it and I'm pulling it and I feel like something shift, like the weight shift and I pull it again and a possum falls out of the tree in the middle of the day. So I've woken this dude up, falls and hits the ground. My son was there and he was probably two at the time. So part of me like freaked out. I screamed like, <laughs> like I don't want to say it, like I screamed like a girl, but like I screamed like high pitched scream. Yeah. Part of me was like freaking out that the possum was going to freak out and like attack my son. <laughs> 
And he was just like, what are you doing? You've woken me up. And he's like looking around everywhere. And I just, yeah, like at this point I screamed and then it ran away. But it was so bizarre. And I did like that whole thing of um, you don't know how you're going to react yeah. in a situation. If there was a table, I would have jumped on it. Oh, it was, 100%. It's it so, so true. Yeah, it was yeah. so weird. So. They're just, ugh. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually, I'm a bit hot and sweaty <laughs> talking about the rodents. <laughs> but, and I, yeah, I didn't realise how bad it actually was until we were cleaning up the backyard recently. Really, yeah. really. So, and um, I was doing something, sweeping out. And there was a dead rat there, and that Ooh. that was it. I threw the broom down. I, there was no more of it. I wasn't doing it anymore. <laughs> yeah, so you're on your own there. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. that one's an easy one. Mm. Pest controller, not a chance. Well, hopefully the next one's um, <clears throat> just as easy for you. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, <laughs> there's been so many. I've had so many fantastic mentors in my um, journey through, I guess, through TAFE and and like everything through school and and work but there was one amazing clinical psych that I used to have and um it was you know there I think as workers we tend to agonize over the impact that we might have whether that be positive or negative um or, you know on on our consumers and the people that we work with so um, I think that I'd ag- agonised a fair bit over this one particular case that I'd been working on and she said, don't ever underestimate the value that unconditional positive regard has on a person. So mm-hmm. it might not be tangible outcomes, but you have shown a person unconditional positive regard. Mm-hmm. And that that little piece of advice changed the way I, I think that I have interacted um, moving forward. So, um, yeah, we, we do tend to the, the, underestimate that little piece of um, what's so important. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. So she was great. Yeah. yeah. I like that one. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I think sometimes one of the things I try and explain is, and I might butcher my own, version of trying to explain something that I would explain to somebody <laughs> but the idea of like that there's a like that a minimum's okay mm. like you don't have to get a kid in enrolled in school or see like engage in mental health treatment yeah. or this or that mm. but just at a minimum just mm. being that just showing that person positive regard yeah is gonna be okay yeah 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 and like that's that. exactly what it is. And mm. I think we're so focused on outcomes in services. Mm. And, and I guess that's the funding models and everything else that we forget and, you know, about connection and mm. what it means to hold space for people and to have that relationship that is not based on anything. You're not going to end service if they've not achieved outcomes. It's, yeah. it's just about being there. And that now underpins all of my work um, and I hope that that's what I can sort of carry forward when I work with other people as well. So is really, you know, that that being there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Yep. And the last question is what is your aha moment? The moment for you where you knew this job was for you? That that's I actually that's another challenging one because there's so often that I um think about am I in the right field? Mm. Uh, you know I create beasts of things in terms of work and um 
I tend to, you know, wear my heart on my sleeve. Like, and you know, I think that um, sometimes people like that feel that sometimes this shouldn't be the sector that you're in. Mm. Um, but I must say, I used to volunteer for Create Foundation when I worked at Youth Justice. I would do that, um, and we used to take the kids camping, and the kids that were taken camping were ones that wouldn't get that opportunity. They're, they're often out of, in out-of-home care and, um, you know, we had a bunch of um, kids that we'd taken camping and it was so, that you know, the kids that are on parole, the ones that the, the department would probably deem too high risk to allow to go on a camp. So yeah. that's too why I loved it. Too many risks to mitigate. Too many risks. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and we were sitting around a campfire at night, and there was the kids, the kids. That's what they were, kids mm. singing "Happy Little Vegemite." And oh. I just, you know, many of them hadn't been camping before, hadn't had the opportunity, and they were just in their element. And I, that was that was probably a huge aha moment, but not because I thought. Uh, that I did something, mm. it was I want to be part of seeing the, the positive that these um, the kids uh, can actually achieve. I want to mm. be part of that. And mm. that, that was that time. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. And I love camping. I'm a really big advocate for the recreational, oh. adrenaline-based sort of activities for young people to get out and about. And there's, there's such a loss of connection, I find, with youth today that there's a, such a loss of connection for things that were just the normal where I grew up. I grew up in a small country town. It was normal to go camping. It was normal to go play in the mud and to go hiking and, you know, little adventures and whatever else. And, and that explorative nature of just figuring out what things are and, mm. you know, and it's not something that a lot of young people that we work with get to explore. And I agree with you. I actually got the opportunity to go on a camp as well. And there's something I think, there's something very therapeutic and wholesome in itself by just one sitting around a fire. Yep. Mm. And I think for me the experience was there was something about it wasn't nine to five. It was mm. 10 o'clock at night. I'm sitting around a fire with these young people with this experience that they probably will never get again. Mm. There's just something magical about that. Yep. And it, yeah, it's crazy. The stuff that they're, the, they're doing at the moment with the, I know each did a heap of research into recreational based therapy. Yep. Um, and mm. somewhere in New South Wales, a university in New South Wales did some stuff as well. And it's awesome. It's so good that it's, oh, so many it's becoming a, yep. Um, like a niche now, mm. it's things are sort of coming out of the work because it's so good. Like you sort of have like your toe experiences and mm. some other camps, but you're right. Majority of the young people that are the high riskers, they're never going to get a shot to go there. <laughs> I remember advocating so strongly for one um, young person in particular. I was, I was determined to get them on this camp. And they, they did. We, we argued back to the department and they did. They came on the camp and there was no issues and, um, you know, absolutely saw him in his element. Yeah. You know, no one scales a wall like, um, you know, in the obstacle courses of the outdoor. I said, put those skills to good use then. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and I think um, it's natural risk-taking. Mm. So we tend to not allow that to happen very much and mm. being out in the bush and being out on those camps is 
is that, you know, feeling that adrenaline, that natural adrenaline that they've probably not experienced, um, you know, anywhere else apart from often drug use. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It's that brings it back to that resource, um, resource rich risk taking and resource poor risk taking, you know, and I think there's something really... There's something, yeah, with the with being out in nature and the, and the recreational-based stuff where they can do that and it's resource-rich, being out in nature, it's, mm. it's everywhere. It's actually, it's free. It's something that can be easily accessed, you know, or even supported to easily access. And you're getting those same adrenaline rushes that you can you can get when you do, you know, maybe some negative other things, yeah. you know, but you can, you can have that experience. I think being able to show young people that you can have experiences receive the same sort of adrenaline rush for example Mm. but be doing it in a proactive way and I think it's sometimes it's just not something they've ever been able to explore yeah and being able to just like like you said hold space and be like no this is you can do that here this is this is the time scale that you know do rock climbing abseil down this you know hike up that hill Mm. there's something really um I don't know gratifying about that for the young people as well to be like oh yeah I I can do that you're right yeah you know it gives them that additional sense of self-belief which yeah. is awesome and I also find that when you share those experiences with young people that um it's also taking away the power yeah. um, of a worker client relationship and mm. I really enjoy that um you know there was times when I was utterly petrified I actually had no idea that I was uh, fearful of enclosed spaces until I attempted to go caving yeah. and um burst into tears <laughs> Um, I, I was in tears and there mm. was a group of um, young people that were consoling me, encouraging me, saying that they've got my back, they'll help me, they'll mm. stay with me. Complete change in role there. Mm. Um, and to see to see that and to see them step up in that role, I think that's, yeah, that was probably some of the most wonderful experiences that I've ever had, work and personal life, though it was really rewarding. Mm. So was that with, sorry, I didn't quite catch before, that was with Youth Justice clients or as a part of Youth Justice? So it was with the Create Foundation. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how I even came across <laughs> them. It must. So it was a lot of Youth Justice clients. So maybe it was that. Maybe they needed somebody to volunteer from Youth Justice to go on. the. Uh, so they had a big lead up in the program and everything and then it was two camps. So um, right. Bernie Geary, the old Child Safety Commissioner, yeah. came on one camp and stayed in one of the bunk rooms with some of the boys. So he, he is amazing. Yeah. So, How cool yeah, is that? Yeah, absolutely. So it was really about that, uh, yeah, just giving back and I loved it. Absolutely mm. loved it. How cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, we were talking before and we paused the conversation. That's something I'm really keen to chat to you about. Um, and I think with all of your experience, we'll, I'll dive into that one because that's something that interests Absolutely. me because there's a million things that we could sort of go into. But we'd, we we were talking about the work that you did around um, women in the justice system and then um, intimate partner violence Mm -hmm. in relationships um and I was in I'd said to you I was in a meeting today and there's just not much out there it's a a gap in service and I naively thought that because of all of the money that had been rolled out by government to support family violence and more programs and you know I think of organizations like Orange Door and they're they're sort of places you hear more of now but it seems that there's still just this massive 
gang. But absolutely. And I think we were also talking about it in relation to adolescent violence yes, in sorry, the home. adolescent violence. Yeah, yeah. so... I, and I, but I think it does impact women in the justice system as well mm. because the in terms of the adolescent perpetrators of violence, whether that be um, to parents or carers or intimate partner violence, mm. there's a huge push, and the Royal Commission spoke about the importance of prevention. And to me, it's common sense that if you're going to prevent something you work at the earliest age you possibly can. So I would have expected that there would have been a huge amount of resourcing targeting adolescents who are already displaying these behaviours. But I'm yet to see that roll out. So um, it is a huge gap in in service delivery. We've got a few programs around here which are brilliant. Um, But, again, there's there's so many different dynamics that come into play that you need multiple types of responses to suit um, I guess those young people and their families. So it is, um, and it's also particular. I'm very passionate about our most vulnerable and marginalised and the most challenging um, that have the most complex needs mm. often fall through all the systems. So even if it wasn't a service gap, would they be the ones to access the support or would they continue to um, fall through the gaps until they're in the justice system, which is often what, what happens because mm. our service models tend not to be developed enough to do that assertive engagement and focus on connection, which is the most important thing. Mm. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, the intimate partner violence and, you know, they talk about rolling out respectful relationships in schools, which is fantastic, primary prevention, get in early so it doesn't even start. Yeah. But I guess that layer of early intervention, that, that you know, the programs that actually target the behaviour of that individual that's already perpetrating violence, that there should be a real focus on that. Mm. Mm. And it's funny, you just said, you know, they slip through the cracks. How many, if I had a dollar for every time you hear from people, mm. yeah, this one's just slipped through the cracks until now. Yeah. Can't believe he's made it to 17. Mm. Or yeah. can't believe she's made it to 18. And. Mm. How do we not know this person? Yeah. And there, there's it actually happens so often now that it's it's actually sad really in reality because there's all of there's actually is for a lot of them, they might not be the perfect service and we might not have all angles, but generally there might be something that mm. we can try and put in place. And unfortunately, because they fly under the radar, you know, there's pivotal points that you could have, you know, interjected or you know been proactive or been you know done the early intervention stuff but you've you've missed it and it's you're at the other end now yeah and and I guess the project that I provide project coordination for at the moment is that that very thing so that around women in the justice system and vulnerable girls that go missing um they're that they often fall through until they're picked up in in the justice system and then you look back and they share their journey with you and you hear these pivotal points that they could have connected but for some reason they didn't. So I'm all about service system change. Mm. We need to, you know, our service system is here to support our most vulnerable but yet why are we not doing that? So, Mm. yeah, really passionate about that. So where are people missing that, those pivotal moments and those gaps of trying to intervene or provide a service to somebody where are where do you think is the the gaps where people can 
So if we go, if we walk the journey, mm, I guess, with, yeah. our, with our clients. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so first of all, you need to know what issue do I have that I need help with? And sometimes it's too complex to even know that or this has been their way of life for so long, possibly intergenerational, so yeah. this is the way they've lived. How do you know you're going to, first of all, Google a drug and alcohol service, mm. Mm. then you find the intake number or the phone number and then you ring them and you generally get subjected to a bunch of screening questions which, uh, uh, you know, for somebody that is presenting with anxiety or depression, there's often co-occurring issues. Um, mm. You know, that's really confronting. So that's if you get that far. If yeah. you already work out what you need to know and you actually can do that. <clears throat> and the other thing we know... Uh, you know, and and I know you guys are all too familiar with it, is that it's just not one thing. Mm. And so you can't just pick up the phone and go. It's so siloed. You don't just go to a drug and alcohol agency and deal with that and then go and deal with your mental health. And all in the meantime, you need help getting onto Centrelink, getting your ID. Mm. The siloed nature of the service system is yeah. really, really difficult. It's it's hard for professionals to navigate, let alone That's so true. <laughs> yeah. let alone vulnerable people in the community that yeah. actually want help, need help, but don't even know where to start. Um, I did some research. Um, I, I was a you know just a support crew to one of my colleagues, and we did some field study research down at a local train station. And it was observational first, which was great. It was like I was back in my old hood hanging out on the street, you know. People but watching. Yeah, people Love watching. That. It was the best. Mm. Um, but then we got a chance to interview um, 50 young people that had that were, were also hanging around, ne- not necessarily doing anything wrong, but appearing to be disengaged because, mm. you know. So, and... That was a moment that I went, I, I've been working in the service system, uh, you know, for 14 years at that stage. And, and yes, that presumption that people are going to access a service um, and know that there are services like that, that was when it struck me that we've got it all wrong because they actually don't. Mm. There were so many, particularly young women, that said, I never knew anything like that existed. Mm. And so for service providers that work in it, you go, how can that be possible but when you actually think about it, they disengage from school, often leave home at really young ages, unless they're lucky to connect with somebody that suggests accessing a service. I, I don't know how they would know. On reflection, that is. I don't know. Mm. Mm. So, and I think we've referenced it before. I can't remember who we were talking to, but it was around them... Um, their friend, maybe it was on Mar- when we had Marl on the podcast and he talked about his friend had a youth worker. Yep. And he was like, who's this fucking weird guy hanging around with yeah. my mate being yeah. nice to him for? Why is he yeah. talking to me? Yeah. You know, and then when I remember when Marl said that, I'd never actually thought about it like that. And I'm like, that's a very good point. How, who are they? It's not their responsibility to know hmm? who we are, but yeah. also as a reflection on us to be aware that, you know, I guess the interactions that you are having and when you are having, make sure that they're, they're good, you know, and like make sure that you're mm. making that impression and, you know, because there, there is the anxieties and there is, you know, um, even just like the social anxiety of walking into a building oh. or we've spoken before about actually making that phone call mm. sometimes mm. is the hardest part of that process. Yeah. And I if that's hard like- for us... I talk about it like signing up for a gym. Yeah. yeah. So like first of all, you need to locate the gym. Yep. You don't know what the gym provides, mm. like how it looks, what, how do you get in the building, like what's the story. 
Then you need to go through the whole process of signing up at the gym. Mm -hmm. Then you need to walk on the gym floor and maybe join a class with all these people that you don't know and they don't know you or learn how to use all of these machines. Now, remember, you're just joining a gym mm. and you're, you know, regular folk. Yeah. Mm. And remember, it's, Josh, what if that gym said, no, this gym isn't for you because this gym does this mm. and you're not eligible mm. to do that. So here's, here's a bunch of numbers. Yeah. For you to go and this service might be able to help you. Yeah. That's what's happened. That, mm. is, that is what happens in our service system. Yeah. Or, yeah, you can join. This gym's perfect for you, but you have to wait four months. Yeah. That's Come back when do. you're ready. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. Um, I, I do, I'm really passionate about this. We, we need to do it better. Um, and I think that we can. We can with the resources. But, you know, obviously um, funding models mm. in, in mainstream services impact our ability to do assertive engagement. I call it old school engagement. Yeah. Um, where we can just cruise around the street and, you know, chat to young people and yeah. introduce ourselves and we're not that scary and we raise awareness of, of the services that are out there. Yeah. Mm. I think um, there's a huge lack of that now. Mm. We don't really do it. And so, yeah, that outreach work. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's that Les Twentyman kind of mm. stereotypical or like or like newsworthy or yeah. you know noteworthy kind of grungy, dirty youth yep. work that you know yeah. you're out on the street and you're talking to people and yeah, I mean the guys that and I don't want to give them too much away because they might be joining us for a chat, but a local council are providing an out a regular outreach outreach walk which is yielding amazing results. Yeah, just on the ground in the community, talking to young people, nothing else to it. Mm. But what they're finding is that they're getting just, like you're saying that, like just that positive interaction, having a conversation. This is where we are. If you want to stop past, no worries. But also no stress if you don't. Mm. But then also with community workers, knowing that, that, that these um, youth workers are out there doing that, is they're able to support the other community services by linking people and, oh, yeah, I had a chat with that kid, not too sure about him yet, but I think this or that, yep. all for positive things, of course. Mm. Um, mm. But it's so good to have that. And you know, I hope running. they do come on because mm. um, I'm familiar with that yeah, um, yeah. initiative and it's partnerships. And yes. I think that's another thing that we um, we really should embrace more is because no one really knows everything. So mm. if we actually lend um, the resources of, of our current agencies then we can do so much more so yeah you know so it's not just oh we can't help you but here's a phone number yeah. it's hey well we might not be able to help you but hey here's you know this person yeah he's from this service and he can help you mm. so it's that it's just that warm introduction mm. and um yeah i think that that's really valuable when you're talking to any young person let alone one with complex trauma mm. and um complete disengagement from the system yeah mm. I do wonder because I I remember like years ago assertive outreach was a thing mm. like everyone did it everyone was out on the streets yeah like it was happening and it just doesn't seem like I know that there's some projects in this area and mm. there's, there's sort of pockets of things but it's not as a part of the woodwork anymore and I do wonder why mm. is it a Oh, we've got to mitigate too many yeah. risks there. Risk, or... risk averse. And, mm. again, funding models um, tend to focus on outputs rather mm. than outcomes. So mm. 
you're looking at people coming in and getting a service and that really hinders your ability to get out of the office, to walk the streets because what's the purpose mm. when you could be seeing a client that's an output in the office? So I think it's that way, the narrative, the way that things are funded um, and and that's where I think as a service sector and, and you know, as a community, we actually need to inform government and policy makers about what actually works and particularly the young people themselves about what is important mm. um the, you know in, embracing their voices and getting them heard i think yeah but yeah oh the old school youth work it was the best i yeah. loved it we used to do even in, and then if there was issues that were happening that we were aware of in our local community we would work in partnership just like what's happening now actually mm. And then develop these um, outreach models in partnership. So you'd always go to up to mitigate risks. <laughs> and then if it was had to happen at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, well, that's when it would happen. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, that was, I don't know how many years ago now, but um, many, over a decade ago. Um, but that's, you know, that would happen. And that, you were engaging the kids that in a really, really unique way. Mm. And, and that helped in the, in their engagement in services to address all their needs so mm. yeah i think there's a lot to say and even drop-in spaces yeah mm. um youth projects has an ace one out in glenroy so okay. i okay. was in awe i was so excited i wanted to like just stay i just went there recently actually and um jenna one one of my colleagues and i were playing ping pong and some one of the staff were getting lunch in the kitchen that was just next to us and then there was heaps of young people that walked through the door just in the time that we were there. Yeah. It was a really inclusive, welcoming environment. So, mm, that's cool. And then holistic. Yeah. It was like, okay, well, exactly what I said. We can't help, but here, I'll introduce you to this. Or now we've done our bit, let's let's go over to the next. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. yeah, it's very really exciting when that happens. And I think, I think you're right. There's something about um, like a drop-in space. There's no... Um, expectation mm. like just come and play some table tennis yep. and there's something even with the I think it very it's very good that it mimics the assertive outreach model in the sense that I think our assertive outreach works so well because you're not saying come into this building mm. we will sit in a clinical room with white walls and I want to know all about your life and you can't know jack shit information about me mm. and I just expect you to give it to me yep. whereas if you, you're meeting out in a park it's, there's no power imbalance mm -hmm. there at all. It very much takes away those walls. And you can just have an organic engagement with mm. somebody yep. without those expectations of you're going to try and get information about me. And, mm. you know, and for a lot of young people that are very distrusting of a system, yep. for good reason. And uh, it's really interesting what you said about, um, but I'm not going to tell you anything about me. Mm. I'm going to ask you everything about you, but mm. we have been taught... As, as workers and professionals, about boundaries. That is drummed into us. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like you have not got good boundaries or if you're perceived to not have good boundaries, you are deemed not a good worker and not Absolutely. suitable. Whereas there is an emerging body of evidence around peer work mm -hmm. and it's about sharing your experiences and some of the personal bits about your experiences in a really safe and, and secure way that's beneficial, mm. beneficial to that consumer. And I think that as workers, we really need to reflect on 
giving some of ourselves, mm. giving Absolutely. enough of ourselves to help with engagement and to, you know, so it isn't a one-way street, but for the benefit of that client. Mm. Yeah. Like, you know, not sharing your address. That's like, you know, that's... <laughs> I'm not talking about that. And yeah. that's what I think when, uh, you know, uh, when you say about boundaries, you think about common sense yeah, like yeah. you know just have common sense yeah now i'm happy to share that i have three kids That's mm. right. i'm really happy to share that now i'm not going to tell you know all the details mm. but i'm then you know going to speak to another woman on her you know on mm. the same level mm. who's got kids that's finding things challenging mm. yeah uh, you know it's I, interesting I think, that yeah. um you say that, and the reason I, when I explain that, I'm not going to tell you jack shit about me. The reason I have that line, and I say it all the time, is purely because when I first came into the field, it was very much a boundary conversation and talking, you know, in trainings, they taught you about what you do oh. say, what you don't say. And they did the standard activity of um, they asked you a couple of questions, you wrote down the answers. I think one was like, how old were you when you lost your virginity? What's your favourite sex position? And they were intimate questions in a room of people you don't know, and you had your answers. And at the start, they assured you that you didn't need to, like, to engage in the process, be very honest, but you didn't need to show anybody else your answers, so don't feel like you're about to be judged. But then they came around, they collected your piece of papers and implied they were going to read it out in front of everybody. And I remember being like, fuck, I'm a dickhead. I answered the questions. (laughs) And I was like, oh, no, and I was panicking. And the whole exercise was this is what you do to your Mm. clients. You Mm. ask them to to, uh, divulge all this information about themselves and you Mm. give them nothing. Mm. And it was very much at the time, it was when I was at the department and they're still very much, you know, um, at corrections. It was, you know, don't tell them your information. And there's there's good reason for that. But I also think there's good reason in being out because you're a human at the end of the day as Mm. well. And I remember when I came over to where I work now, and I'd had an interaction with a young person and I thought it was very much like a, um, almost like a Stockholm syndrome response of, <gasps> I said this about myself and mm. now that person knows it. And I went into this panic and I went to um, like a mentor of mine at the time at work and I said, I fucked up, like mm. I'm going to lose my job was where my head went. Yeah. And I was like, I've done this. And she pissed herself laughing and mm. was like, Nat, did you share that for your own for your own reasons or did you share that because it was organic and reasonable in that situation Mm. and I was like well and I explained the situation it was in conversation and I think the statement that I'd said was you know you can't choose your family and we can't pick our parents (laughs) you know and unfortunately you know some people have really fucking shit parents you know and it, it was just a conversation around that and she was like you've actually not disclosed anything yeah. inappropriate you've not done that for your own gain yeah you've actually created a really good connection there mm. and that was probably for me one of the first lessons of where I went yeah yep. of course yeah because who am I to sit here with my little private box mm-hmm. and, and your notepad yeah and my notepad where I will notes. write down all of your information <laughs> yep. you know, sorry I just got to write this down yeah and, and you know nothing about me. Mm. Yeah. Of course you've got young young people or clients that don't want to engage or that feel really unsafe to engage because if I put myself in that position, mm. I'd feel the same. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And I think it goes back to the, you know, I mentioned it before about connection. And, and I think mm. that's what research that's done that what says, I can't remember what percent, but I know it's over 70% of the work is done in that therapeutic connection. Mm. Um. But, and that is about sharing. It's about, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, genuine, authentic. Mm. And and you can still have boundaries and do that. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, uh, I think it, it's part and parcel of that. 
but I think the more clinical we go, mm-hmm. and like you said, in the department, and mm-hmm. rightly so, in some circumstances, absolutely agree. But, yeah. You yeah. know, we should. Well, I think the training should be about more around managing risk and safety rather than you know that black and white boundaries mm. non-disclosure it's so funny because the um when i was at started at parkville you do orientation and what have you and obviously yeah. they talked about boundaries and they must have, i can't remember but they must have hammered boundaries so hard that this guy like gingerly put his hand up and he goes can i tell him what football team i go for oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like and a lot of people laughed and like of course yeah. you can but obviously for this guy mm. he was so sort of nervous about this concept of boundaries yep. and what you should and shouldn't say, yeah. that he asked if he could tell him what football team yeah. that, you know, he went for. I'm sure a Collingwood joke in shoot afterwards or something. <laughs> like but it's funny too because in my previous role, I had a car as part of my role and, like, I'll drive it home and, and what have you and I've got two little kids, so I would drop my kids at daycare on the way to work mm-hmm. but the car seats were in the car for all my outreach and stuff mm-hmm. and I would get kids in the car and... They're like, why the fuck have you got car seats in here? <laughs> and like, I've got two kids. And like, whatever. And I'm like, what do you, what do you think I'm doing with car seats in my car? Like, look, it's, my car's like a bit dirty. Like, this yes. is my car. Yeah. And they're like, what? And they're like, you're a dad? And I'm like, yeah. Mm. And then this conversation would go through all with like some other um, other young people, like whether like adolescent girls or they had like young siblings or talking about being like wanting to like, we, we know this one particular client who always talked about wanting to get pregnant mm. really young and so i'm like you know the car seats remember i'm a dad i've been through this and we mm. can talk about it and even then like that one girl and that knows there would laugh she's like oh you're a dad oh it's so fucking funny and like laugh <laughs> yeah. but it was just this instant thing of kind of revealing something about myself which i would be happy to share yeah. anyway yeah. doesn't bother me mm. but um it just spun the, the young people out a little bit yeah. it was quite funny mm. it was but a great the, little random like accent like organic tool mm. like car seats and mm. i was going to say like that the conversations that open up from that yeah. is stuff that you wouldn't get from standardized questionnaires and yeah. so i think that that's the beauty that's the beauty of outreach because mm. because spontaneous things like that do happen absolutely um, but it's also the beauty of, of having a little bit to share because we have a yeah Mm. we've got a lot to take as yeah. services so yeah one yeah. thing i, I like because you know we talked at the start of the podcast about like um new staff or new workers coming into the field yeah so mm-hmm. I, like if i could share a piece of advice to people and people will laugh at this and i don't know if you guys agree right but if a kid wants to play music in your car oh yeah let them do it yeah because they will play the most random rap music or random songs or even surprising music that you would never have expected because yeah. I went for a stage where I just said no I'm like no you're gonna muck with the system my <laughs> phone's connected I'm not having it like oh dad, dad right? <laughs> <laughs> taking the dad role too serious and then one time I was like all right all right and then we got into these conversations like this one kid he was playing a song that like a local rapper was rapping over like this dude from Frankston and but it was the Fuji's um, you know, ready or not, here I come, was the yeah. beat. Yeah. And I was like, you know, this is from, like, a song that was recorded, like, in the 90s. He's like, what? And then I played him that song. He's like, oh, what the fuck? It's the same. And I was like, yeah, people do that. And we just yeah. went down this, like, yeah. thing. Yeah, so yeah. let them take over your Absolutely. Bluetooth. Yeah, it's for, like, half an hour. Over. Just let them DJ in your car. Yeah. Everything will be fine. I'm telling myself that as well. <laughs> yeah. It is honestly yeah. the best engagement tool. Yeah. Like, I was just thinking, like, as we were talking, I remember probably one of my first... Not like an aha moment, but I remember when I when I first went into outreach and I was getting the groove of one being in the car with a client mm-hmm. by myself because at corrections it was 
home visits were two up. You were mm. there to, for a specific reason. You didn't dilly-dally, then your appointments were all in the office. Yes, sitting in a car with a young person next to me, I was like, fuck, mm. I'm the adult here. Like, yeah. I, it's a, just a weird dynamic to get used to. And I remember our, it was when the Fox first brought out R&B Fridays. And so we were, were driving around and um, the Bluetooth in that car had actually broken. And I, I was so upset because I knew this young person loved to play their music. And I was like, they're going to fucking kill me when I pick them up and the Bluetooth's not working. And they were like, oh, no, that's right. Like, um, the Fox are doing, like, this R&B Fridays thing now. Like, maybe we could have a listen to that. And I was like, yeah, sick, let's put it on. And so we blared it and they, they played the Fresh Prince of Ballet theme song. Yeah. And so, you got the whole thing. so I was literally like <laughs> in West Philadelphia, <laughs> born and raised, and I'm like singing along. And they were like, "Draw on the floor." How do you know this song? Mm. And I was like, "What do you mean? This is like my childhood." And they were like, "Well, like it's just a song that I've heard this remix." And so they showed me a remix on, I think it was oh. SoundCloud. And I was like, "Dude, this is like a TV show." Yeah. And they were like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, you know Will Smith." Will Smith. Yeah. And so then we ended up. I um. We ended up going back and, like, I YouTubed and showed the trailer of him singing that song and he's got his gangster wear on and he gets shipped off to Bel Air. And the, this young person was like, oh, my God, I didn't even know this was just, like, a TV show. Mm. And from then on, it was just a talking point, mm. you know. And it's even amongst young people, the amount of time I get in the car with young people and they put their music on and their friends will be like, oh, don't, like, turn it down or mm. don't. And they're like, nah, she's cool. Yeah. She likes the music. Yeah. And it's, like, instant streak. Yeah. But it just, it's instant buying for them. Yeah. It's like you get the best engagement with people driving in the car. Oh, it's yeah, just yeah, the yeah. best engagement tool. There's something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. It yeah. just works. Yeah. And the amount that they can actually teach you. Yeah. It, it, like if you're open and yeah. in those situations. So I'm. I thought that you were going to say they fixed the Bluetooth. Because oh. I was like, there's been that many oh, situations yeah. where, it, you know, people that I've been working with have fixed something oh. or taught me something, how yeah. to do something. So mm. um, I think those spontaneous sort of situations, you, if you just let it happen, mm. I think it's that connection. Again, yep. connection. Yeah. I keep banging on about it. But yeah. it's, but it's um, to be banged reason. on about. Yeah. Like even I think um, the whole rap park, you know, the opposite yeah. to addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Yeah. Yep. You know, and you can actually apply that yep. to everything. To everything. And Maslow's. Yes. I, I always remind people about the basic Maslow's like how how can we ever expect somebody to get a job mm. if they don't have safe and secure mm-hmm. housing or somewhere oh. to live how how it is it just absolutely bonkers that's my new word my 2020 word is bonkers yeah. so um it's bonkers that we expect that mm-hmm. so yeah. I, I think um we we do have it a little bit wrong if you think about just the old school sort of theories of, yeah. of um, changing and I guess recovery when you look at it, mm. connection mm-hmm. and ensuring that basic needs yeah. are met before you actually go on to any sort of therapeutic sort of um, work. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's um, recently I I was having um, I like to battle systems. I, I, I mentioned that. And, <laughs> We were meeting with a local mental health service provider um, because I was um, not happy with a few outcomes that had happened. So, um, and not not happy, I, I just wanted to know why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like to, I like to know why. Mm-hmm. And, and it could be the model, yeah. But then it was this realisation that I was trying to find something that didn't exist in our mental health service sector. There was so much willingness, so so much willingness from professionals working in it. But, and that's that um, 
the response for complex trauma. So I think when you look at a lot of people, a lot of young people, a lot of adults that have multiple and complex needs, which is actually a high proportion these days, it's mm. not just your one sort of issue, mm. um, that if you look at the research around recovery from complex trauma, we, our service models don't support that at all. So, Can yeah. I ask you to break that down? Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get lots of words thrown around. And so for people kind of listening and sort of engaging in this service for the sort of first time or they're starting off, what would you explain complex trauma as? So I or, like, I'm practical. I yeah. like giving examples. So, yeah, yeah, that's um, perfect. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah. So, uh, you know, somebody that may have um, been subjected to childhood abuse or witnessed something tragic in their childhood and then had repeated events that have further impacted on them negatively, mm. so further created more trauma, um, which then, I guess, and, and I don't know whether this is the right definition, no, but this no, is how good. I see it. Um, you know, so it's the that, you know, that historical childhood event and then life events that have further impacted them and then created this um, this cycle, I guess, of, of complex trauma, that yeah. it's mm. not just one event, one, one event. traumatic event mm. um, that you might have post-traumatic stress disorder from yes it's uh, you know multiple events that have led to this situation yeah. and often you know their own coping skills maladaptive coping skills but right then and there that was the only thing that they had so yeah. i guess that's what i explain complex trauma yeah, yeah. a lot of our um uh, you know the we look at the justice system I, you know it's full of complex trauma mm. um so if you think of the level of violence that a lot of women in the justice system have been exposed to and, and experienced themselves, that's traumatic in, in itself in every situation. Mm. So we just don't have models that deal with it. Mm. So I'd be, I'd be interested to actually look at the proper definition of complex trauma because I'm probably not right, but um, to me that's what I was actually reading something yeah. about it today. It broke it down into mm. three. In what I was reading the article specifically, it broke it down into three and you've hit the nail on the head with complex trauma. It said acute trauma, um, complex trauma, and there was another one which I can't seem to think of what they'd labelled it as now, um, but you've hit the nail on the head. Mm. And I think the reality about complex trauma is trauma, and it's hard to define anyway, even when you were like, I'll, tr- I'll give an example, I'm like, you're mm. perfect, because I wouldn't know how to explain that yeah. either, mm. because it's complex. Yeah. Because how do you explain, yeah. or how do you, like, slap a definition on complex trauma? And I think I struggle with that for me as well, because I'm a big, you can't pigeonhole everybody, no. right? So they're all individual, and no one's trauma is worse than anybody else's trauma. You can't measure people's trauma. It's all trauma. relative Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Yeah. And so how do you then have a blanket definition mm. for that? It's uh, yeah. it's something that yeah, yeah, messes with my little brain that yeah. I can't really comprehend fully. But yeah. It's the complex trauma is something that is just so huge specifically in the justice system. Mm. And then on top of that young people in out of home care. Yeah. And it's I think there's a massive bucket of work that's being um, done into it now. And I'm trying to remember, I think it was a Blue Knot training mm. that I did. And Blue Knot, if anyone's listening and wants to do some awesome training on trauma, hit up Blue Knot. And I also um, put the, there was a report Blue Knot recently released 
around complex trauma and it's on the files section. Oh, so that's what I was about to talk about. Of the ah, Facebook, there you go. Of the Facebook <laughs> you page. You the question. Yeah, it's on there. Yeah, so, perfect. Yeah, it's like big. Yeah, mm. go and have Whatever a read of it. Yeah. yeah, just print it off and have a flick over it before you go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever helps you sleep at night. <laughs> Yeah, it's on there. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called exactly, but I feel yeah. like you, you might have mentioned it to me. But, in one but of our yeah, maybe. And that was it. Was probably when I had that was that was another aha moment. I've had so, but it was like oh oh actually, I'm I'm trying to get you know a response that doesn't actually exist. Mm. So and um, you know the I I do recall and and sorry for my vagueness, but the the foundation for recovering, you know, the recovery from complex trauma is connection, safety, stability, and it's only then uh, self-regulation. So, um, you know, that emotion regulation that we often do whilst we're on Mm -hmm. outreach in those inadvertent ways, that Mm. pro-social modelling, only when that foundation Mm. layer, I guess, has been established, then you can move on to therapy ready i say that it, oh, you can't see it i'm inverting oh, i inverted do this all the commas. time yeah. i am the king of air quotes and i air say quotes. things that i'm like they yeah. think i'm a fucking yeah. dickhead yeah because <laughs> what quotes. is what is therapy ready yes. not really but but yeah i think the listeners would know what i mean yeah, um, yeah. you know we're in in the service system respect mm. that they're ready to then move on to the therapy to start to unpack some of that trauma mm. that's managed but if that is actually, if that foundational level isn't isn't done, then um, the ability to process the trauma is going to be really hindered. Mm. So, when magistrates sentence um, people in courts <laughs> to going and getting psychological help, mm. or going to a mental health service, or going for drug and alcohol counselling, mm. and there's still this massive gap of that foundation that is mm. not actually there. Again, looking at Maslow's as well, like if, if that's missing, mm. if they don't know where they're going to sleep and if they're mm. constantly on flight or fight, which yeah. a lot are, well, mm. the, the counselling is not going to be very beneficial if it's done in a very clinical environment. It's mm. almost like saying, I'm going to order you to do it because up until this point you've chosen not to. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Which is hilarious. Yeah. 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 It's a tricky one, I think, and it reminds me of a specific example I remember really early on in my work and it, it was around um, I was working at Corrections and I had um, a client and on his order it was mandated that he had to engage in grief and loss mm. cancelling oh because he had lost his mum, his dad and his sister to suicide. And so he had been ordered to engage in grief and loss um, counselling. And I remember for me, I was like, I'm not, I can't force him to do that. If he's not ready to mm. talk about that, who the fuck am I mm. to say, oi, mate, mm. go deal with your shit. Yeah. Mm. I haven't had that happen to me. I yeah. can't imagine even putting myself in that situation. And now my job is to tell you that you have to do that. And yeah. if you don't... And if you don't, we're <laughs> yeah. going to send you back to court. Yeah, and potentially jail because yeah. you can't comply with the community order. Yeah. yeah. So it's... Yeah, yeah. But that... um, I, I think that that's also another thing is, you know, often workers are in particular roles mm. and have responsibilities mm. and, and even though they've got the best intention, the best will and a real... Like, they've got so many constraints around them about what they can or can't do 
due to that particular role that I think that it becomes, yeah, yeah. really challenging. It's sad. Mm. It is. Yeah. I like the, the other side of that role now when you get um, referrals from corrections or hmm. um, and you get them for in for drug and alcohol and I'm like, all right, we can do this the easy way or the hard way, but yeah. it's a condition. We can tick the condition how we go about this. Let's be creative. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it is really rough to... It's a big thing with the magistrates, especially ordering um, treatment and rehabilitation as directed. Mm. And it's so, it's just so intrusive, I think, to expect people to just be open books and to work on these things. And, and you make a good comment. It's almost like they're ordering it because they've not done it so far. But have they been, like, mm. supported mm. to do it so far? Mm. Or are they living day-to-day couch surfing? Mm. Or are they, you know, I'm not thinking about the grief and loss of my dad because I'm too busy trying to remember where I'm going to sleep tonight yeah. or where my next meal's coming from. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of just common sense that comes into that that sometimes the magistrates don't see. Mm. I, I think with the um, with the courts and the court system that there is a shift in focus to more therapeutic jurisprudence, yeah. I guess, using the court as that tool to start that engagement Mm -hmm. and um, we've recently had the assessment and referral court start down here Um, so that's mental health yeah Um, phenomenal absolutely phenomenal because you've got um, magistrates that are highly empathic Mm -hmm. um, and and get that it's not as simple um, you know for some people it's just not Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a discussion that it's not. It's not that power. Well, yes. of course, there's power. They're they're a magistrate, but yeah. um, but you sit you at know, the same table. They're the not up table. in their fancy desk. It's a genuine yeah. hey, how you going? Yeah. It's very. I think the two of the best experiences for me yeah. in court process were yeah. engaging in Curry Court and engaging in an art court matter. Yeah. I was like, this is how we should be doing it. And Everyone. like drug court, why Absolutely. aren't we doing this? Yep. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, completely agree. I know, um, you know, that is, and that's where you see because it's long term too. It's not one hearing, one case, and a different magistrate. Um, mm. So the legal reps also get a chance to understand and know their client. Um, the caseworker could be in there. The ARC team, I can't speak highly enough of the, the support that is provided there. So mm. I think that is where you see real change. Yeah. And, and it's because it's not just an expectation that here, here's some numbers, this is what you need to do, go and do it. Mm. Um, it's that I, I just envisage these hands. I know it sounds cliche, but, no, you know, visual. just, yeah, yeah. visual. Like, the, yeah. you know, these hands that are that are holding holding this person and holding everything together mm. along this journey. Yeah. So, you know, I think we just, we need more hands. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. that's what it is. Mm. Yeah. I think we'd have a lot more productive outcomes if we had more hands. Hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but more, I guess, um, of that restorative sort of mm. justice in, the, in, mm. in that we see in, you know, the Kuru Court and we see in ARC and we see in Drug Court. It's more of a collaboration of, yes, something's going wrong. Mm. Yes, you're here because of a criminal matter. Mm. But let's explore your story. Mm. What brought you to be here with me right now in yeah. this moment? Yeah. You know, and I think it, it's it's very easy to 
sort of generalise people that, you know, as criminals, that yeah. they've offended and that's whatever. Like, mm. like, go and get sentenced and, you know, you did the crime, do the time. It's very easy to think that way. Especially it's very easy with this to... rhetoric that's going on, but, you know, tough on law and order mm. stance. Yes. That's working, isn't it? Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, sorry. No, 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 <laughs> I completely agree. But yeah. unfortunately, that's something yeah. that you can qualify. Mm. You can qualify that. You can get the stats for that. You can yeah. hit your KPIs. Absolutely. Mm. You can't measure how... Um, how building a connection with with a specific person has then increased their capacity to engage in treatment. How do you measure that? Yeah, that's exactly what we're going through in the Living Free Project now. Is so because right. we've been really lucky. So our funding, Victorian Legal Services Board Grants Program, um, initially funded the project, mm-hmm. and then we've got um, we've been refunded by the Legal Services Board again. Ian Potter Foundation and Gandell Philanthropy. So that's given us a really good opportunity to do the evaluation, but outcomes-based evaluation. So they're not focused on outputs, how many we get through. They're not focused on how many re-offend, although that is, you know, obviously a consideration. Mm. But for our women and, and the journey that they have through the Living Free Project, it is exactly that. It is about when what services like what were their needs and what are they what are they needing to get connected and what does it take to get connected and then evidencing that um and i think that it is like i cannot begin to tell you the amazing outcomes that you see when you can have flexibility and when you can nurture that journey Mm. it's not time limited it's not pigeonholed Mm. you can actually and right at the start, if, if they don't want to address any any therapeutic things but need ID and a bank account, cool. well, let's go and get it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, having that um, that time, the, the flexibility and I guess that, I guess some awesome workers as well, yeah. you know, that are there connecting to then connect them into places that can work on unpacking some of the stuff that's caused them to be um, in the justice system so absolutely um, yeah I I agree in terms of the that's awesome outcomes Mm. we talk about outcomes Mm. there's been an outcomes framework being developed I think for drug and alcohol services for a few years so um but it's not targets it's not Mm. it it shouldn't be that because it, it shouldn't be that it should be about outcomes and you know what one outcome could be I think you even said it before Josh or Nat like it could be that they pick up the phone and call you when they're in crisis mm. because they've never reached out before. Mm. Yeah, how massive. Mm. When a young person or, or anyone mm. pick, actually says, hey, I need help, mm. shit's hit the fan. Yeah. Because, you know, normally it would be disengagement, flight or fight, you know. Yeah. Whereas reaching out and actually working through those problems there and then how can that be quantified? Mm. How can that be like? Yeah. How can you say, "Yep, that's an outcome"? Yeah, but it is. But it is. That's one of the most valuable outcomes. Mm. Yeah. Because it's that it's that internal um, coping strategy, mm. but it's also utilizing support services and systems. Yeah. And so for yeah, so I, I'm yeah, I think um, quality outcomes is something that is really really hard to measure. Mm. But very important. Very important. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Uh, it's com- it's semi-off topic, topic, but it's it's just 
funny that you mentioned it. You said about if a young person doesn't, or a client, sorry, doesn't want to work on necessarily treatment or therapy goals right then and there, but they need ID. Mm. It's that we talk about the Sunday barbecue chats because what do you do for work? Oh, that must be interesting. Yeah. And I always get the fuck, your job seems hard. I don't know how you do it. And you know that genuinely the hardest part about my fucking job has nothing to do with my clients, the work I do. It's getting ID. It is literally obtaining ID, getting a birth certificate, getting a proof of age card. Literally every time a client goes, I don't have ID, I'm like, all right, we'll get it. But I'm like quivering on the inside. I'm like, I hate this. Yeah. That is the hardest part of my job, yep. hands down. I um I call Jana, our wonderful outreach worker, because she is the magic weaver when it comes to getting oh ID. God, I need a Jana. I got well, we will we will connect you with Jana. Sorry, <laughs> Jana, but yeah, you, <laughs> thanks, you, Jana. You, you're being loaned out for yeah. ID. <laughs> but um yeah, because I completely agree. And when. You know, when somebody's been... I've struggled to find my birth certificate sometimes. I I have my dad's. I found it the other day. I'm like, what the fuck do I have? Yeah. Like, it's like, well, where do you have that paper trail? Who's keeping that paper trail? It's like jumping through hoops. Completely Mm -hmm. agree. And then you can't get Centrelink until you get ID. Mm -hmm. But you can't get ID if you don't have Centrelink or Medicare or a bank account. Mm -hmm. So it is... That is... I agree. I get whiplash yeah. trying to figure out yeah. where to get someone's ID from. So I, I cracked the shits <laughs> like a couple of years ago and I was like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Oh. And the minimum, like the, the lowest sort of like value ID you can get that's like a government issued ID is a key pass. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then you go to driver's license and passports and things. To get a key pass, to get photo ID, <laughs> you need photo, photo ID. ID. <laughs> Honestly, and you, you can't... have to provide photo ID. Yeah, they've changed it now people. because you used to be able to get a key pass at mm. was it 16 or f- uh, I don't know you used to be able to get it earlier okay. in life but now you have to be like 17 and something no, to get a key pass so if you've, if you've got you know let's say a 16 year old kid that's now you know eligible for Centrelink because they're living out of home and they need rent assistance and they're mm. going to go on the new start allowance and they're studying well how do you get their ID? And this is a conversation that three, like, fairly, you know, like, regular folk are having. Yeah. We feel like we can navigate systems and things pretty yeah. well. Now put yourself in the position of someone who may not have, you know, sort of be as lucky as us to kind of be able to deal with that and, mm-hmm. and have the patience for it or the ability to understand it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And throw on the multi, the multiple complex trauma and things yeah. that you may have. Mm. It's, um, it's like, it's almost laughable. Yeah. 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 You yeah. almost just have to laugh at it and just... Oh, if you don't, Shake you would head. cry, and yes, and be, like you, you really would because yeah. it's it's beyond frustrating. Mm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the sorts of systemic challenges that I really like to, you know, take and and um, and highlight because we can all talk about it mm. and we can all say how frustrating it is. And every single worker, they may not have had the chance to speak about it, but they would agree. Oh, yeah. yeah they yeah. would agree. You anyone would not find tried. one worker that would <laughs> no. disagree. That find, that, yeah. I, if, if there is anyone out there that's a worker that's like, oh, finding ID is fucking easy for yeah. me, I, I want to meet you because oh. you are like yeah. Medusa. Yeah, <laughs> completely agree. So, like, let's make it easier. That's yeah. what I do. Yes. That's where how I create bases of things. Let's do it. We'll yeah. just, like... We've, we need to highlight to government and the people that put such policies in place that this needs to be made easier mm. for the mm. community. 100%. So, you know, that's on the list. It's a very long list to tackle those system things. Mm. Yeah. Yep, yeah, it's definitely on there. And, um, I, I, again, it goes back to 
um, Centrelink, having, you need money, you need income. <laughs> and so it's just this vicious cycle. And I, I think, you know, people get over, yeah, they just get over it. Mm. And, well, it's just too hard. Yeah. yeah. I remember I had someone once, I, I think it was Centrelink had said, um, oh, you need ID. My young person needed ID. And and they they suggested that they just go and get their learners as a form of ID. It's actually the easiest. Yes, it's the easiest. One of the easiest, easiest options. options. One of the yep. easiest, right. And I thought, so okay, that's a good suggestion from Centrelink, but are you going to pay them mm. money so that they can afford to go and pay for their licence? Because mm. you're doing that on the presumption that they can... It's, what, 70 bucks to go and get? Probably, yeah. yeah. And so, read and write. And mm-hmm. read and write, mm-hmm. and be able to sit the test mm-hmm. and pass the test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and read you also book. to get mm. in. I think like bookings are like you, to get a spot like a month from when you look it up. Yes, and yeah. you've got a window. If you're there five minutes late after mm. your booking, not a chance are yeah. you getting your learners that day. Yeah, mm. it's just crazy. But it, it's actually good for you to share on on this platform that mm. getting your learners is actually the easiest form yes. of getting ID because I think that would be beneficial for a lot of workers to know. Absolutely, and that's what we're, our experience has been as well. Yeah, let's it's the easiest let's one. study on that book. Yeah. So mm. yeah. And while we're talking about it, Mission Australia run a really great um, the 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 learners program LTP. that they run. That's the LTP is the mentoring that Jesuits mm. run, but they mm. run um. Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. It's just unfortunate um but it's a learners program so mm. mission australia run it in dandy and they if anyone's outside of that area that they may be able to point you into a direction of a different, uh, catchment. Of a different catchment yeah yeah but it's uh they do like i think three or four days of like um uh theory sort yeah, of uh, education and stuff yep. but what they do and this is the best part is that they book all the kids in to do their learners months before they actually run the course oh. so you do the four days of theory and then on the fifth day you sit it you don't yep. have to then book in the future that's really yeah. handy so that's to fun. know yeah so yeah check out mm-hmm. um yeah there is a criteria an eligibility criteria for young people but if you're listening to this you probably work with young people at fit yeah. so yeah it's <laughs> yeah. likely so at the moment you're working with the Living Free Project, which yep. I'm going to paraphrase incorrectly, yep. working with young women, or women in the justice system, yep, and young women who go missing. Yes. What is that? What, young women that go missing. Well, this was actually brought to us by the police. So the police um, down here in in um, I think it's Division Four, we used to have mul- um, multi-agency tasking and coordination meetings where. Um, the managers of the health and community services would meet with the tasking and coordination of the local police. And um, we were at one of those meetings and one of the senior police came and said, we have this issue. We have young, vulnerable girls going missing. We pick them up, we take them home, and then we pick them up again. Mm. Um, And we can see that if we don't do something then they're going to go on to become offenders mm. um, or we just keep picking them up and taking them home. So um, it was it was just, you know, when the stars align, yeah. it was one of those moments when um, the Legal Services Board had put out an expression of interest for justice reinvestment for women in the justice system and, and like wanting to focus on primary prevention. Yeah. Um, well, that's, the, that's where you start, so, yeah. With the young women that the police were reporting on uh, from a particular demographic? Like, were they a lot of kids in out-of-home care or across the board? Or 
So really interestingly, um, well, of course, out-of-home care, yes, there's, there's definitely a high prevalence of uh, young girls that go missing from out-of-home care. So they're mm. doing a lot of policy development and, uh, you know, great procedures to try and do something about that. Um, but uh, uh, on the same time, you have a lot of vulnerable girls, and I'm sure boys as well, but oh, I'll speak yeah. about girls, who are still at home, mm. whether that be with parents carers or um you know other family members who have a lot of um a lot of needs and so uh, that one like so what's brilliant about this um process i guess is if they go missing once then our proactive policing unit down here triages to to better understand what's going on for that young woman and if there's multiple needs and it seems that they disengage from school or there's other stuff going on, they just get um, the verbal consent to pass the referral on to our project and then we'll make contact with family as well as the mm. young girl. So um, it's really that, um, I guess, front line. Yeah. Um, the police are often front line. They, mm. they, they get to. It's not really they get to, but they respond really yeah. early on yeah. and then um there's actually no of no research that i could find um around the trajectory of young girls reported missing and then being in the justice system mm. however if you work backwards mm -hmm. from women in the justice system which we've been so fortunate to work with um and you ask about adolescence mm. there's a, there's a clear trajectory yeah. so if you look at the risk factors they're already present mm. with the girls that are going missing. So mm. it's that amazing opportunity to get in and intervene early to disrupt that pathway. Mm. So we are working with, um, you know, the Monash Uni and um, University of New South Wales. They're really keen to get a big research project up and running because this is where you can make a difference. Yeah. yeah. And, and I often say, like, we need gendered responses, so, and I think this is um, something that I'm really passionate about as well because women have very different needs to men and mm. a lot of the, particularly in the justice area and crime prevention, the programs are actually tailored for men, mm. yeah. um, not on what works with females. Mm -hmm. And so in order to actually make a difference in that area, we need gendered responses. Mm -hmm. And so starting with, well, you're not... You, you don't need... It's, they're not going to hit the justice system generally as young adolescent females. What will happen and what we've seen um, that, that has happened is that the needs go unaddressed, so the welfare-based needs, they keep running away, you know, potentially disengage from school, drug and alcohol use, negative peer associations or, or older males, um, at risk of sexual exploitation... And that just snowballs, so your trauma. Mm -hmm. So then, then that happens. And then the issues go so unaddressed that they, you know, often put women over 18 in contact with the justice system. So as an adolescent, they're vulnerable and it's welfare-based needs mm. as a child and adolescent. And then all of a sudden you hit 18, you're no more vulnerable. You're not a victim anymore because you're a offender now and you're treated like one. So we've got it wrong and we need to do something about it. So, um, yeah, if, if that, that could be that gendered response. And I think there's a big push 
Mm. You know, uh, women in the justice system, the the stats have gone up dramatically. Women in the custodial settings, particularly with the bail laws, mm. really, really impact on vulnerable women mm. because um, homelessness, mm. vulnerability, all of those things. There's just, I think at the last, I think, oh, I can't remember the last stats, but I know a huge proportion of women um, go in on remand, like in, with breach offences. So... Mm. Um, that if you look at, if I, I would love everyone that's interested to look at um, women in the justice system and just how different their profiles are, but yet we treat them the same. Mm. So, yes. Yeah, so sorry, your, your question was about the vulnerable no, girls, no. but yeah, it just ties in. So, no, absolutely, yeah, it does. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we work um, hand in hand with the police here. Brilliant, absolutely can't speak highly enough of the was, proactive team. I was going to jump yeah. in and say earlier because. We've had a fair bit to do yeah. with them, and they're legends. Yeah. And I think sometimes in the youth, uh, in the community services sector, police get a bit of a bashing. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, we always try wherever we can and acknowledge different, um, <clears throat> different units or different uh, approaches that the police yeah. are taking. And absolutely, yeah, the um, proactive team, Somerville. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolute legends, yeah. and and um, are so vital in that initial response sort of stuff because there's a lot of like they may go to a house that's reported you know noise complaint or kids you know smoking or mm. know, causing a causing a ruckus yeah. um and they might arrest someone but they'll probably you know field interview 10 young people mm. and, pick, and pick one up on a warrant or maybe they've offended but they hold all that knowledge and have that ability oh. to refer you know, and I think that's something that's worth acknowledging too. That police have a referral system mm. that is in within built into their systems, and they can refer to services like the Living Free Project, like drug and alcohol services, mm. mental health services, and they don't have to be offenders. It could be anyone that they're having contact yeah. with, and um, that's that real great positive benefit of the proactive team, yeah. especially down here. Yep. Mm. Um, yeah. I feel like they just really get that role. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. And they even go above and beyond. Like, they do. They, Their reputation oh, precedes them. Yeah. They've established some brilliant projects down here. Mm. Oh, that, like, because they just want to do more. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, they have that genuine passion to see young people mm. um, improve their lives. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I know the bike project, that you know, where, yeah. that's been established and there was a motorbike project that um, was getting up and mm. they've got connections with all the training cafes and things. Mm. So, yes. I, I don't know, you get a little bit more pull when you put a uniform on. So sometimes Absolutely. it's really good to work in partnership to actually make amazing projects that may not get off the ground so yeah and it's yeah. very refreshing as well i think because you're right josh the cops do get a bad rap and and they, there's de they definitely get slagged on a bit but there's definitely a cohort within victorian police of the old school cops <laughs> there's you know the, the way they used to deal with things and you know obviously that's changing you're always going to have that cohort in there mm. you're always going to have them but i think it's really refreshing when you get the the I guess the newer sort of an emerging um, members coming out and they just give a fuck. Yep. And it's so refreshing. Like I, I was actually lucky enough. I had a group conference um, where someone from the unit was there and I literally just wanted to get up and hug him. Mm. I was like, you are what we've been waiting for. And it was almost like that stars aligned moment where I was like, we're fucking onto something here yeah. and, and you guys, you're nailing it. Yeah. 
And every time now, I was so excited after that. I kept being like to people, have you heard of this person from here? Do you know about the uh, productive unit down in Somerville? Blah, blah, blah. And I become a bit of a squeaky wheel about it. But every time, without a doubt, every time I speak to someone, they go, what a bunch of fucking legends. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I'm sure that they, I'm sure they know that they're doing a really good job, but like, I hope they know that they've got this following of they the community. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to send them a yeah. snippet. Yeah. That they've got this following of people yeah. that are just cheering them on. And yeah. it's, it's actually really refreshing yeah. to, to see and be a part of. Mm. Mm. It's, um, I think that where there's, um, again, that partnership work and, working to each other's strengths that's when just you can just do amazing things and mm. innovative things and um i think that that's they they know the needs better than anyone they're going out so i think if if we take their lead and support what they feel would benef- be of benefit then let's jump on board mm. yeah Why so not? that's how it came about so they came to us yeah wow with with this need and yeah. um yeah and I must say, the the young girls that have been supported, it is holistic, so, again, it's not one thing, but um, just phenomenal outcomes when when you actually walk alongside, uh, you know, for, for quite a while. Like, it can, we, we can do up to 12 months. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, but it's, yeah, and that holistic support because one day you don't want to do counselling but you want to do something else and that's cool. Mm. Yeah. That's fine. So, yeah. yeah. And good that you've got a good chunk of time as well because, you know, even, you know, to step back a minute to the conversation where we were saying, you know, like forcing people to engage, I was doing air quotes there, forcing people to engage in um, treatment and rehab, for mm. example. Okay, we'll go and get a mental health care plan and here's six sessions to <laughs> fix your trauma. Mm. Yeah six uh, sessions to unpack all of that yeah and you know m- might not even be in a place where it's safe for you to mm. do so but we'll get it done in six sessions and you probably have to pay a yes. little bit of a gap yes too. Yeah, yeah. medicare won't cover the whole yeah. thing so yeah. yeah it's um yeah our system is very complex and there there are there are some amazing workers out there and mm. you know the really passionate passionate genuine workers and i think that it's you know gathering them and gathering the, their voices and yeah. because they're going to be the voices of their clients too. Mm. Absolutely. And, and I think we, uh, yeah, I, I'm, well, I'm not, um, I call, what do I call it? An inside, um, oh, yeah, I used to, I can't remember the terminology I use. So I'm not one that will go to protests. I'm not one that will, um, you, you know, like stand and shout mm. about, you know, around changes in the street, but I'm one that will sit at a table and yeah. use all these, all the evidence that's been gathered over the years and mm. all the voices to actually have those conversations. An inside agitator, that's what I call mm. it. Ooh, I like so that. You, yeah, that's, that. so, um, and I'll, I will never forget, I went to the Sisters Inside Conference, do you know them? They're up in Queensland. Um, really, really strong advocates about um, women in the justice system. Okay. And, um, yeah, just amazing. Debbie Kilroy, um, she's the head of Sisters Inside. Look it up. Yeah, it's a great, great organisation. Mm. Um, so, and then on the last day of the conference, there was a, um, a protest and a lot of people took to the streets and um, police headquarters was right near it. So... I'm not one that likes that, that you know. I, so I sat there in my, it, you know, just feeling that I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't, you know, out there marching on the streets for equality and, you know, gendered responses. 
But I looked around and there was a bunch of people that um, maybe were a little bit similar that mm. worked in government, worked in worked in these jobs that took what the outside agitators were saying, because I think you need both, mm. and actually could have that and translate that into a conversation around policy and program delivery and funding and, and why this is important. So I think you absolutely need both. You need the outside agitators to rock the boat, but you also need to get the space and, and get the time to sit with the people that influence these policies and, and how programs are funded and have and be the voice. Yeah. Mm. So I think that with the pool of um, those passionate workers, there's many that could, yeah, join join forces to to bring these issues up because, you know, I've heard departmental um, reps say we actually had no idea that this was happening on the mm. ground. Mm. Well, you know, because what happens on the ground as opposed to what policy dictates should happen is very, very different. Mm. So, yeah. What I'm loving hearing you say, Lisa, is just all this, like, all this stuff because I think sometimes people, and I am absolutely guilty of this, is just... I go along on my day and a week and I'm like, I can't change it anyway. So Absolutely, like yeah. I'll just, I'll keep doing the whatever it is we're talking about today and that's fine. But I love that you're on here, you know, or like I love that you're even vocalizing it. Yeah. Of like, no, this is like, this isn't a right or that's not a right and we can change it. And you might've yeah. seen me before you were just talking. I had like a goofy look on my yeah. face. At least I felt like I did. <laughs> is because when you said inside agitator, yeah. <clears throughs> part of me is I I pictured um visual again the little rock in your shoe yes just yeah. bugging yeah. you <laughs> yes, yes. and then the that shoe is... being the system and mm. no offense yeah, you yeah. being a little rock yeah. in there just yeah. like you know kind of itching at people yeah. and eventually you know the shoe comes off yeah. right, what's the story yeah and then there you go and yeah I, I love that yeah you know? I like that analogy yeah. that's yeah. yeah feel free um but, mm. yeah and I think that it's um I think when you said that you sometimes think oh, I can't change it and um have it tattooed on me and it's a it's a cliche quote but it's that be the change mm. and yeah I think that it's you know it's often bandied about that quote um but it's really about you know being authentic and change like not just change like focusing on changing what's external mm. but changing what you like how you are and how you perceive things so then that can then influence that change as well yeah so you know I've learned so much along my journey and I would say that my biggest teachers have been my clients hands down so much so hands down um and uh, yeah you cannot learn it from a textbook absolutely so um it's definitely the clients and then to be able to then translate that into I guess a higher level policy systemic advocacy conversation. It's um, it's it's actually really refreshing because yeah, you can feel well, no. Well, yeah, we can we can actually work together to yeah. bring awareness to what's going on because mm. awareness is the first stage. Because if people just think that it's happening a different way, mm. we well, can't know what you don't know no. as well. Absolutely. And, I, and I think you're right. Like a really good point that you made around. The policymakers and and the people that are making you know all of that stuff they don't actually know what's no. on the ground and when that connection is made it's a bit like oh fuck yeah we better do something about yeah. that yeah but you need those agitators yeah. to continue to boot like to break away at that and to build from there and I think there's definitely things in even in my time 
that I've seen like collaborative things changes from government around supporting you know what they would call offenders but even something simple like that seeing a dynamic change of a, of a staffing group go from calling a bunch of mm. um, males offenders yep. to clients is actually really big mm. because it's, it's a, it stops you being defamatory and because they're still a human at the end of the day you oh, know yeah and even those simple language changes of even um you know, not calling someone a victim, calling them a survivor. Yes. You know, and yeah. so there's, there's, they they seem little, but when you see them start to roll out, you're like, actually, mm. this mm. is catching on, mm. and it, you've got to beat that drum. Yep. You've got to beat that drum because it, it it's incessant, it's mm. annoying, and you know, I think even I'm very guilty of the oh, well, what's the point? You know, I can't today is not my day, oh, and I'm not going to change it. Sometimes you know? it's really overwhelming. Yeah. And you're allowed to be like that. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. It's a big mountain. Yeah, mm. it is. But, it, you know, you start fresh, you try again, and it's the small wins. And I think we talk about the small wins with young people and, mm. you know, we spoke about just before about they called me in yeah. a crisis, mm. you know, a small win for us, you know, put it in the context of you, the people you're working with. Yeah. A small win might be calling them a client and not an offender. Yeah. Or calling them yeah. Yeah, a survivor and not a victim. Yeah. You know, or something around... Yeah, you, you were 15 minutes late for your appointment today, but you know what? You're here. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You made it. Yeah. Or yeah. probably an hour late last week. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like it's progress. Yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. it is. I think that we all have um, the responsibility to change the challenge, the stigma, challenge the labelling and just create a different way of seeing young people in general because often, you know, it's with negative connotations, especially in the media. Yeah. Um, but also people that have multiple, drug and alcohol issues, mental health issues. It's uh, Every single person that works in this industry, multiple sectors, has a responsibility to um, challenge and, and start dropping those seeds that, mm. Mm, really? I don't to anyone. If I'm in an Uber, I'm going to talk about it. Just if I can get them to mm. think... About I'm so how... guilty of that. Yeah. Oh, my God. oh, yeah. That's why I say I bang on about things because they'll just be like, oh, here's this annoying rock again <laughs> in my shoe. No, I, um, I can't imagine Nat, Lisa and Josh getting an Uber. <laughs> I, um, I was, um, oh, just, you, you made me laugh about, about the analogy of that annoying stone in the shoe. Because, I really like that. Um, I, I had emailed um, the CEO from the uh, the Centre for Excellence in Child and Family Welfare. Mm. So, um, and she was like, it sounds like we need to do a Zoom catch-up because I've been lucky to be connected with her before. And I'm on there saying, and this, this is happening? Did you know this is happening? Like, what's everyone doing about it? Like, when she, you know, she was great. Like, just indulged me yeah. in, in being able to have my rant about what's actually happening in the community. But, you know, I truly believe that conversations like that that are 20 minutes will plant something that then she might go away and, and in, in on so many influential panels and, and meetings and then use some of that knowledge that and to actually then say, well, actually, this is what we're hearing or what we've heard from here. Mm. Is anybody else experiencing that? And then that creates the wave mm. so yeah but i did i did think of the annoying stone i was like i wonder if she eye rolls and um you know says oh I'm, here's lisa banging on again it's um yeah but that's okay that's Absolutely. fine so yeah um we're gonna wrap up shortly yep. but um the living free project have also started a podcast yes so the could you give us a bit of an overview of what that looks like 
Yeah, I think um, it was, we've always wanted to do something like this and I guess raise our advocacy efforts um, around and changing the narrative um, of women in the justice system. So we embarked on the podcast journey and it's we're lucky to have Janet that's an old radio DJ so mm. she can so cool I oh know so cool um yeah so we're, we're just really trying to get the get different themes and thoughts and considerations out around um women in the justice system and how we might uh, it's called rewriting the narrative women in the justice system so it's awesome. um yeah so we've got some we've had women and mentoring on um just recently and we had an ace participant and mentor from women and mentoring so you know who who better to learn from than the women themselves mm. like and so that goes across clients like you know the clients themselves and then yeah we've got um a feminist criminologist coming up she's amazing and um, some legal reps and, yeah, hope to have some consumers on. So just about, like, yeah, getting the story out there, getting yeah. that advocacy out there. Awesome. Planting seeds. Yeah. Yeah, planting yeah. seeds. Mm. That's exactly right. Make sure you check it out. If you're listening, uh, rewriting the narrative, women in the justice system. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. On all forms of, like, iTunes, Spotify. All, pla- oh, all platforms is the yeah, word. Or? challenging me. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. We'll so, find it. Yeah. yeah. And you've yeah. also we'll, got a link. We'll post a link. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we yeah. will for sure in the show notes. And yeah. you've also got an Instagram for the Living Free Project as well, which I think is Living Free Project Frankston. That's it. Yeah. Good memory. Yeah. I've got to, got to give a shout out to our Please awesome do. student, Shaylee, that... Um, but I don't. We were laughing because we felt we were all too old to embark on this <laughs> <laughs> on the social media, and we were so lucky to have Shaylee. That's like I'll do it. So she's actually driven that because I don't think it would have happened. So again, it's just a different way of connecting, 100%. and you, you know. So and how better to connect with the younger cohort who mm. you know social media is such a huge thing for them. Mm. Yep, huge. Yeah, and. And that's why we thought we were too old. I yeah. was like, oh, I don't know. I think I've just got Facebook. I don't know. Yeah, don't worry. We downloaded TikTok at home the other day oh. and my wife and I sat there Googling how to use TikTok. And we oh. both were like, oh, we're old. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? We, we, should really, be, yeah. we should learn blinding lights dance and post it on <sighs> your site. So. Which one is that? No, I won't do it. Oh. But, um, I'm trying to think. Is it the... Is it this one? Are we doing all the singles again? Okay. I've got three girls, so... Well I don't know that one. Yeah, yeah. I'll You're teach more on it than we are. I've got three girls. Yes. So, okay. so you know, so t- TikTok is there, so, yep. TikTok's a jam. I'm obsessed with it. I don't want to admit really? it. Really? Well, yeah, just did. I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> uh, well, before we wrap up, I'll bring you with a surprise question it's not a scary one um but if you for us to close on if you could give any piece of advice to new and emerging workers in the field or you know maybe maybe old workers in the field or you know maybe students that are studying or they don't know where to go in the sector or they just don't know what they want to do you know if they if you had any piece of advice for them in coming into this field what would it be mm. Something there's something that wants me to say about being authentic and, mm. and I guess um, trusting in yourself and and that journey and you will get to where you should be, you'll get to the aha moment. Um, yeah, 
That was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for thanks having me. Chat. No, yeah, it thanks. was great chat. That's us. It is. It All is. right. Thanks, Lisa. No worries. Thanks for listening to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Please like and share the podcast, invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered. Take care and enjoy your week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Please like and share the podcast, invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered. Take care and enjoy your week.